0: Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Hallelujah. It's good to be here uh, with you today. It's good to be in this presence today. Great to have you all online. Um, We know that there's a bunch. I think uh, we had a business meeting a couple weeks ago, and it was interesting. One of the statistics in the little business meeting book was that there's 44 different states that have watched people in 44 different states that have watched our services in the last year, which is pretty amazing Um, I don't know if Hawaii was one of them, but why am I saying this? Come on, Hawaii Let's get Hawaii and let's get Alaska and let's get some of those uh, other ones, you know, I don't know which ones they were, but um It's pretty cool. God is God is uh is good and he's given us technology to do some great things But uh, we certainly want to welcome you if you're online with us and thanks for being with us um We've been in a series for about uh, well, for several weeks now. This is uh, week number five, actually. It's hard to believe it's gone by that fast. But I want to thank you all first, first and foremost, just to just sticking with us, hanging with us in this series. This is not an easy subject the uh, subject of the Holy Spirit. And especially in one to the Old Testament, we've been plowing through from Genesis if you've been kind of following along and maybe you, you've gotten what we're doing and maybe you haven't quite, but, but we're plowing through this and I, I hope you're starting to put some things together. Uh, let me give a really, really brief, brief uh, 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 review here. The Holy Spirit is God. He is God. He's the third member of the Trinity. One God, three distinct personalities. He's the third. That's why we're calling this series The Third. And let me say something. I even find myself doing this from time to time. Don't refer to the Holy Spirit as it. He's a he. He is a person of the Trinity. He's the third person of the Trinity. So he is a he. Um, And uh, we talked about the original Hebrew word for the Holy Spirit is ruach. Ruach which is almost always translated spirit, wind, or breath. We talked about that in Genesis and, and kind of followed it through the Old Testament. Um, and he's a God that, uh, he is God and, and has all the characteristics of God. The Holy Spirit is God and he has all the characteristics of God. He's creative, we've seen that, we saw that in Genesis. He's protective, he prepares, he's gentle. We talked about that when he was walking through the, the Garden of, of, of Eden after Adam and Eve sinned. Sinned and uh, he was like a gentle, cooling, refreshing breeze. And this was after they had sinned. So he is, he is gentle. He constantly is wooing us back into relationship with him, with God. And I, 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 that's something we always need to understand about the Holy Spirit. He brings judgment upon sin and his enemies as well. So not only is he gentle and he woos us back, he also judges sin, and we can't forget that either. Amen. Sometimes we like to forget that part, but that part is very real, just as it is. He is a wooing, gentle uh, breeze, if you will. He also uh, brings judgment upon sin. He uses people. We saw that over and over here. He comes upon them. He anoints them. We were talking about this all through the Old Testament. He gave the 12 different judges of the Bible incredible abilities to carry out the will of God. Special uh, abilities in special moments to make sure that God's will was carried out. That was the job of the Holy Spirit. He gave the prophets of the Old Testament the ability to speak the very words of God to the people. And I think it's just phenomenal when we think about the Holy Spirit, we look at those references throughout the Old Testament, how similar they really are to the New Testament. And I've got great news about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. We're going to get into some of it today, but we're going to to continue on with this because there's even more and there's even better stuff for us on this side of the cross but there's an essence to who he is characteristically that has not necessarily changed a whole lot as far as who he is. It's changed how he deals with us, and we're gonna, again, talk about that as we go on in the series. So this morning, I I wanna take us into the New Testament, and I wanna begin going through the Gospels where the Holy Spirit was involved with Jesus' life and with his ministry, and understand Jesus is God, Jesus is God. Amen. Amen. Just seeing if you're awake this morning. He is God. The Holy Spirit is God. And God the Father is God. They are one God, but work within these distinct personalities to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And remember, the Trinity is a mystery. We have enough information to absolutely believe that the concept of the Trinity is real and factual, but we are limited in our understanding because of our our minds. They're, They're just... We don't have infinite minds. It's hard to take a finite mind and and understand fully an infinite concept. And so sometimes we we just go, well, I don't believe that because I can't get my mind wrapped around that. Well, okay, then are you saying you have the ability to think as God thinks when his word clearly says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, his ways are higher than our ways? I mean, that's a statement of, yeah, God, you're God and I'm not, right? You can't comprehend everything, but there's definitely enough information for us to believe in the Trinity within the Word of God. And I, I can't wait to be in heaven one day and actually understand the complexities of some of these things, especially the Trinity. Maybe we won't even fully comprehend there. I, I think we'll continue to study the Word of God in heaven. I think we're gonna be blown away by the information we get uh, and, and, and the knowledge that we'll, we'll gain, but we will definitely, definitely understand more than we currently do in our finite body. And temporary life here on earth. So first, let's turn to Matthew chapter one, verse eighteen, and uh, let's read it together. You got your Bibles with you this morning? Hold your Bibles up. Let's see how many people have Bible on phone and how many have physical Bibles. Okay, good deal, good deal. Keep bringing your Bibles. If you use it on phone, don't don't get lazy. You still got to go look up stuff once in a while because, you know. uh, I talked about Bible illiteracy illiteracy a few weeks ago and it's interesting since we got these screens and I'm not dissing the screens, I love them but since the church as a whole we've gotten some of this technology we stopped thumbing through the Bible looking for the book. We just look up there, right? And and the church has forgotten how to sing notes because we don't use the hymnal no more, right? And the church has forgotten how to look up scripture as individuals because they can't find it in the book because they're not used to looking it up in church. There's truth to that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have the screens. I'm just saying don't forget to do your due diligence in knowing where the books of the Bible are in your Bible. But let's look at Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, chapter 1, verse 18. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. And betrothed, we know, I've done some studies on this uh, with you in in the past, and betrothed was was like an engagement, well, but it was engagement with all the rules of marriage. They just couldn't live together. So the, Joseph had to take care of Mary. They couldn't have sexual relations or anything like that, but they were betrothed. They, it, it was a, It was a more solid engagement than we think of in our culture today. But anyway, Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, before they had sexual relations, that's what that means, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand something. There's a lot of Christians in America that don't believe that verse. When polled, was Mary a virgin? When she became pregnant, she remain a virgin when she became pregnant with Jesus. It's overwhelming percentage believes that, well, that was probably just a, that didn't really happen. It happened The Holy Spirit Came upon her And she was found to be with child And this is important In in the Old Testament the Hebrew word Ruach is translated spirit Wind or breath I've already said that The New Testament was originally written in Greek So the Greek word that we translate into the word spirit Is pneuma Everybody say pneuma There it is up there Pneuma, spirit of God Is how we translate that And pneuma occurs 385 times In 350 different verses of the New Testament It's in there a lot We ought to know what this word is The Greek word that is always translated spirit Is pneuma It's an extremely important word for us to know And then the word hagios Turn to your neighbor and say hagios Hagios. All right. That's the Greek word that we translate holy. It means perfectly pure. Of God, because of his incomparable majesty, his deep reverence, the religious, religiously undefiled. It's holy. It comes from the root word hagos. Hagos, also a Greek root, obviously, literally means an awful thing. I found this really interesting, very peculiar. The root word from which we get the word holy, and follow me, church, the root word from which we get the word holy means literally an awful thing. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm thinking about holy God, I'm not thinking holy, awful thing. Does that seem peculiar to you? It's interesting how the suffix full, though, Almost always means full of the original word. So in other words, playful means full of? Successful means full of? Okay. Awful used to mean the same thing. Full of awe. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Holy. Full of awe. So full of, I mean, he's so awful. Isn't that interesting? awful is an exception to the rule of this full of suffix because its definition has slowly turned into meaning something horrible that's awful food somewhere along the line people started using this word for bad things they used to you know and it probably happened over centuries like that situation is so bad it created on me so it's awful and we kept using that way until the word switched meaning and it wasn't being full of awe anymore. It was just bad. Understand what I'm saying? Just bad. Why do I bring that up? Because uh, in reference to hagos, an awful thing, that's what it means. It means filled with awe and wonder, inspiring awe, or even fear because of the magnitude of awe and wonder that God is. Holy, Awful awe-filled. God is to be revered and, and awe-inspiring. He should even be feared in the sense of respect because of his perfection. He is holy. So we have the hagios Numa, Hagios Numa, the holy awe-inspiring Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. That's where we get that word in the New Testament. And, and again, I got, I got to say something to this because you know, I love Dr. Seuss, and he's been canceled, I guess, um, at least a little bit. So let me, let me go off on a tangent here. Cancel culture, right? Words change, and their meanings change, and it's not necessarily a good thing. Sometimes it can be, I suppose. Sometimes it can take centuries like it did with the word awful, or full of awe, however you want to say it, but sometimes people take words and they change them right now, and then they say, well, I'll take the definition of what I think this word means, and I'll apply it to something in history, and then I'll prove to you that history is bad. That's exactly what's happening in some of these cases. The meaning and definition of the word back then doesn't match their meaning and definition of the same word today. And so they drawed ridiculous, inaccurate, uh, ridiculously inaccurate conclusions about things from the past. And I'll give you an example: slavery. I'm going to get in trouble here. Slavery existed in the Bible. Jesus referred, in fact, slavery has existed for almost the, the, since the beginning of time. Doesn't mean it's a good thing. But Jesus referred to good and bad slaves or servants and how they should obey the ma- their masters. That's interesting, because then is Jesus condoning slavery by not saying it's a horrible thing, you shouldn't do it? Paul said the same thing, and also said that uh, masters should treat their slaves well. Isn't, saying, uh, isn't Paul saying, the apostle Paul saying, masters, treat your slaves well, isn't that the same thing as condoning slavery? You gotta understand, when we hear the word slavery, We think slavery in the South and in the Civil War. We think of possibly sex trafficking and the huge problem that it is today. But slavery in the Bible, although it existed in some of these terms, doesn't always mean the same thing. Different forms of it existed. The Egyptians enslaved the Hebrew people and forced them to work until they died for 400 years. And we, we, that resonates with us because that, that hits right where we believe and where our understanding is of the word slavery. It's bad, it's horrible, it's terrible. But there were other types of slavery or what is referred to as, as slavery within the Bible. There were servants, there were bond servants, and there were those that placed themselves voluntarily into slavery, the word, in order to pay off debts. So in other words, I made a dumb business decision with Pastor Jared, and I owe him a whole bunch of money. So instead of paying him and trying to work to trying to, to earn money over here and then pay him, I just said, "You know, I can't do this. I, 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 can't, I can't pay you, so I'm going to voluntarily put myself in your in your household, if you will, and I will work for you until my debt's off. That was called slavery. Paul said, hey, master, treat him well. He's trying to pay off the debt. It's totally different, isn't it? He wasn't sitting there with a whip going, you know? We just have one vision of those words. Why do I bring this up? Because it's in our culture right now, really, really, uh, uh, it's permeating every part of it, isn't it? This cancel culture, this definition of words. I'll give you another one, uh, the word tolerance. When I was a kid, tolerance meant you put up with other people and their beliefs. You know, I tolerated Pastor Donnie. (laughs) Right? That's what we know the word to mean. But what does it mean today? Tolerate means, or tolerance means that I not only put up with but I consider their beliefs in who they are is equal to my own with no discrimination whatsoever. So that means, follow me, there is no truth that's absolute because he can have a truth and she can have a truth and they can have a truth and you can say things like, well, my truth is this. My truth is this. Folks, let me say something loud and clear and I'm on a tangent and I know this morning, that's okay. There's only one truth and his name is Jesus Christ. One truth One truth Yeah, applaud if you want to applaud Don't half-heartedly do it Yeah, one truth There's perceptions But we don't say that's my truth Because perceptions might not be true There's different perceptions for sure But we start changing the meanings of these words And we lose the very truth within them And that can happen in the word of God That's how people get all sorts of weird doctrines And come up with crazy stuff um, you can't define yesterday's history Using today's definitions of words You can't rightly judge history Through the narrow lens of social definitions today There are words that haven't changed much And there's, or there are those that have changed a ton And this is why understanding The entomology of words And the original meanings of these words In the Bible is so important That's why we take time And sometimes we'll give you the Greek word Or give you the Hebrew word Because it's important If you don't know what it was, was actually meant you, you can't really draw the right conclusion Can you? So, so this is a website that we use a lot, um, and I'll throw it up there for you. Take a picture of it. It's a www. You got that one up there for me? No website. He's going to come up. Here it comes. Throw up that website. Didn't believe I was going to put a website in my notes, I thought, but that's what it was. Anyway, it's hcom forward slash html. There it is. Ta-da! Take a picture of that, do whatever you need to do. That is a wonderful website for you to go to, and you can look up any scripture. It's a Strong's Concordance Greek Lexicon, is what it is. So you type in the, the you can put any, any scripture in, and then it will bring it up and it will give you all the Strong's words in that sentence. You can click on them. You can see their original meanings. You can even go over to a little speaker and hear him say those words properly in the Greek and in the Hebrew. That's how I learned how to say ruach. Okay? Great, great tool for your personal study. Another great resource is the Amplified Bible. It will give you much of the original meanings within the verse by adding words to the existing Scripture but putting brackets around those additional words that describe what the writer was saying. And it's, it's incredibly accurate, so pick yourself up an Amplified Bible. That's another way to do it. But these are just tools to, to make sure that the meaning is not lost. And folks, it's important Back to Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And the next verse describes how Joseph unwillingly, or he was unwilling to put her to shame or or to let shame come upon her because of that. He resolved to divorce her quietly. But then an angel came to him in a dream and told him that the baby was conceived by the Holy Spirit and that he should marry her marry her anyway so right away we see the holy spirit doing two things here and i want to point them out there's a creative work happening for sure remember in genesis when we saw the holy spirit it's creative in that creative work we see it here too because a a miracle pregnancy is pretty creative i think it's pretty creative it's creative miracle it defies all scientific reasoning Because Mary is the only one in all of human history that became pregnant while retaining her virginity. That's what we believe as Christians, because the Bible is true. It's true. She never slept with Joseph or any other man. She was a virgin before she was pregnant and a virgin after she became pregnant, and Scripture tells us that she remained a virgin until after giving birth to Jesus. That's a creative, supernatural miracle. Also, we see here a protection, a protection in the sense that through the angel and the work of the Holy Spirit in Joseph's life, Mary's reputation was protected. After all, how would anyone ever believe that she was the mother of Jesus, the Messiah, if she was thought to be unfaithful to Joseph? Oh, that's that little, uh, you know what, down the street. She got pregnant while she was betrothed to somebody else. How would anybody ever think that she could be the mother of the Messiah? So Joseph protected her. The Holy Spirit told Joseph. The angel told Joseph to protect her for that purpose. So we saw the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1-2 hovering, and in this... Uh, with this preparing and protective nature, it's not hard to see the creative work of the Holy Spirit in Mary's immaculate conception and the protection that he provided as well. And I bring this up because in looking at the characteristics of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible, we get we can get a picture of who he still is today. There's just this common thread all the way through. The next time we see the Greek words hagios pneuma, Let's say that once just for just because I want to hear it. Hagios pneuma. which is used in Scripture. The next time it's used in Scripture, and that's the Holy Spirit, right, is in reference to Jesus' older cousin, John the Baptist. Luke 1, 15 says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. So John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And in Luke 141, we see that even John's mother was filled with the Holy Spirit. Luke 141 says this, And when Elizabeth, that's John the Baptist's mom, heard the greeting of Mary, the mother of Jesus, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Interesting. Understand, Jesus... Hadn't died on the cross yet. He hadn't given us the Holy Spirit yet. All the way through the Old Testament, we see the Spirit at work. And even in Jesus' life here, even even before he was born, he's at work. Not just in him, but in the lives of the people around him. His cousin, John the Baptist. He was filling people, much like he came upon the judges and the prophets for special moments in time to see God's will accomplished. And that's the important thing. To see God's will accomplished. In Luke 1 67, John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. The next scriptural reference to the Hagios Numa or the Holy Spirit is found in Luke 2 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I'm just taking you through every time we see the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And he had been waiting with faith, patience, and and he had a great desire for the first advent of Christ. I mean, he was just waiting and anticipating the coming of the Messiah. That's what he was doing. And just a thought, in, in these last days, how many believe we're kind of approaching the last days if we're not smack dab in the middle of them? Okay. The church needs to be living like Simeon totally devoted to God, guided by the Holy Spirit, waiting with faith, with patience, and retaining that great desire to see the second advent of Christ. Even in the midst of political turmoil and spiritual corruption that surrounds us. I mean, when Simeon, uh, the Holy Spirit had, had revealed to Simeon that he would not experience physical death in this life before he would see the Messiah, the Christ, so when Mary and Joseph came to present Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon, who the Holy Spirit was upon, took Jesus into his arms and he began to bless God. He really prophesied not, over, not only over Jesus, but over Mary as well. And it's interesting that Simeon was living in a time, if you understand anything about the, the, the political uh, climate of, of uh, Jerusalem when, when Jesus was born, you understand that it was, it was corrupt, It was turbulent. There was a lot of issues going on. And I I don't know. Politically, I think we live in a corrupt kind of place. Amen? I mean, we don't want that, but that's what it is. We see corruption all over in politics. It is a turbulent time. We ought to get our eyes focused on the second advent of Christ because Jesus is coming back. Here's a recap, a quick recap of what the Holy Spirit's doing in the New Testament and life of Jesus. Thus far, he was involved in creative miracle of Christ's conception. He was involved in the protection of Mary, Joseph, and ultimately Jesus' reputation. The Holy Spirit filled individuals like John the Baptist, Elizabeth, Zacharias, who were John's parents. He was upon Simeon and allowed him to know who Jesus was, even prophesying over him and his mother Mary as they made their way into the temple when Jesus was still very young. And then we come to the account in Luke where we see the boy Jesus, 12 years old, sitting and listening to the teachers in the temple. He was asking questions and speaking about the things of God to the amazement of those listening because he was 12 years old and he was asking things that 12-year-olds that should not ask. Then we are left with only one scripture describing what took place in the next 18 years of Jesus' life. Sometimes this is referred to the 18 years of silence. But Luke 2, 52 says this, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And this is obviously a work of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say the word Holy Spirit per se, but it was, it was obviously a work of the Holy Spirit within him. Jesus was God and he was man, and it's hard to really wrap, again, our minds around all that. Again, mysteries that we'll more fully understand in heaven. But all four Gospels now record the next event in Jesus' life, in which we see the Holy Spirit at work, and it's the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, his cousin. And John was preaching by this time and preparing the way for Christ's ministry, so we're fast forward 18 years now. of Christ has grown up, about 30 years old now. He was preach John was preaching repentance, and his baptism was a baptism of repentance and we see Matthew 3, 11. Let's go there. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I. He's referring to Jesus. Whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Hagios Numa, right there. And fire. Baptism means to fully immerse. Fully immerse. Turn to your neighbor and say, fully immerse. means a little dab isn't going to do you. All right. Fully immerse. Um, My daughter Abby, uh, and that's 20 bucks. Abby, are you in here this morning? Uh, 20 bucks. If I say my kids' name and from the pulpit, I have to give them 20 bucks. And I did that one on purpose because she's a college student. She needs money. Uh, So uh, she's going to college in Minneapolis at North Central. uh, And it's right downtown Minneapolis. I mean, it is right... Downtown, several blocks from where George Floyd was, was killed, and, and it's just right there. In fact, her, her college campus uh, hosted the George Floyd funeral um, as a way to reach out to that community, and uh, it, she's just right downtown. But there's a restaurant she enjoys going to, and it's called The Melting Pot. Has anybody ever been to The Melting Pot uh, down there? It's, it's, a, it's a good place. I have not been there, but it's more or less a fondue place, and you take different items, and uh, there's like three courses, I think, and they start with, uh, they start with breads, or you, you pick your cheese, and then they, you melt it in this fondue bowl, and you pick your breads, and it's delicious bread, and you dip it down in that cheese after it melts so good. And it's the best cheese I guess you've ever tasted in your life. And you, anybody hungry? You dip it down in there, and you, you know, you dip it down in there all the way and immerse it. That is the same word. It's the picture of what baptism means. Baptismo is the Greek word. To dip means to dip. And then the second course is meat, and you dip it down in sauces, and then the, the next course is like, uh, uh, what is it, uh, cakes and cookies and fruit and things like that, and you dip it into different kinds of chocolate, and it's delicious. But how many know if you're gonna dip that strawberry down in some nice white chocolate? You're going all the way with that sucker. You're getting as on, much on there as you possibly can get, Right? That's why the little dab is just, oh just poke the, the little end of the strawberry in there. No, no, I'm going all the way, right? All the way in. Baptism, to dip. It's a great, it's a great picture of what it means. So John's baptism was in, a, was in water and was for repentance. Baptism meaning immerse, meaning to dip all the way in the water. He was saying here that Jesus would baptize them or dip them in the Holy Spirit, the Hagios Numa. Mark 1, 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Every gospel talks says this. Luke 3, 16, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what Jesus was going to do. John 1.33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Dips, he will dip those believers in the Holy Spirit. And these, most, th- th- these must have been uh, crazy things to hear for, the, for the, those who are listening to John the Baptist preach. Up until this, this time, the Holy Spirit was recognized, but he had only come upon individuals or filled them. This would happen in accordance with God carrying out his will, as I said, through, through those individuals. It was special moments of time. Often they would do mighty things or they would speak as a mouthpiece for God unto the people in those special moments to accomplish God's will. But John the Baptist said, he is going to, Jesus, the, coming, the one coming after me, whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie, he's going to dip you all the way in to the person of the Holy Spirit, submerse you. I don't know if they had fondue back then. But like I said, I'm gonna, if I'm gonna dip something, I'm going all the way it's going to be drenched the picture is so clear here when you all when you go all the way into the water you come out wet dripping wet soaked all the way through your clothes you are saturated just like john the baptist baptized in water he said that jesus was going to do the same thing with us but the saturation would be in the spirit the holy spirit the hagios numa we would be saturated soaked Dripping with the Holy Spirit, I want you to think about that because that's phenomenal. That is phenomenal. That we would be dipped all the way into His Spirit, and who is He going to do that to? We're going to get into this in weeks to come, but just to give you a, a, a little bit more information, He does that for those that have chosen to make Him His sa- their Savior. So as believers, we come to Christ, we're saved, but then he says, I'll baptize you in the Holy Spirit. I will dunk you, dip you, soak you, immerse you, and when you come out, you'll be dripping wet with the Holy Spirit. How many know that that's probably something we need in this day and time? John the Baptist was telling the people about all this and he doesn't seem to make any indication here that it was for specific people at specific times as it had been. He was talking about what the future held for God's people. They all could be baptized into the third person of the Trinity, dipped and saturated with God himself. What a thing to say. And these people, again, I don't don't think they'd ever heard such a thing. They must have thought he was crazy. I mean, here's a guy, he uh, clothes made of camel hair and leather belt around his waist, holding it together and he ate locusts and wild honey, and he'd come out of the wilderness. I mean, he didn't, he, he didn't look like, uh, like the high priest, let's just put it that way. Then sometime later, Jesus arrives in the scene where John the Baptist is baptizing in water all of those who desired to repent. It was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's what John's baptism was. It's not the same baptism we're going to have on Easter, okay? It's a different baptism. We'll get into that. But Jesus walks up to John, and this is what happened. Matthew 3, 13 through 17. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize him. Now understand, Jesus did not have any sin. And yet, this was a baptism of repentance. If Jesus didn't have sin, he didn't have anything to repent of. So why is he getting baptized by John's baptism? And he tells him here, he says, "I have to do this. It should be done. I've got to be an example." After, after, and so, so John says, "Yes." John says, yes. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and settling on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And of course, this is one of the greatest examples in the Bible of the Trinity. Getting back to that. It's one of the most profound recorded moments in Scripture where we see all three personalities of the one Godhead all at once. We see Jesus, the Son of God. We see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and settling on him. The Father speaks audibly from heaven. I don't know if you knew this, but this emblem up here, and I don't know if you can see it very well, but that is the Trinity. You see the cross, that's Jesus. You see the circle, which is the eternal God, and then you see what looks like fire, because we know he baptizes us in the Spirit and in fire, right? But it looks like a dove, too, descending down. That's the Trinity right there. Whenever you see that, you should think Trinity, That's the Godhead, one God, three parts. I want to zero in on that phrase, though, in this scripture, Spirit of God. This is the Holy Spirit, again. He settled on Jesus, why? I mean, if Jesus was and is God, which we absolutely believe to be true, and if the Holy Spirit is truly God's Spirit... Which we also believe to be true Then why would God the Son Need God the Spirit to settle on him? He's one God Why would this need to happen? And it's a phenomenal question And can only be answered again by saying We can't really wrap our finite minds around the infinite God But we do know this Everything, and hear me church Everything that Jesus did The words he preached the teachings he gave, the healings and the miracles he performed, his living a completely sinless life, his displayed power over Satan, he did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We got to remember that Jesus stepped out of heaven and he emptied himself of his own privileges and rights as God. He did that willingly. He remained fully God, but he didn't tap into the powers he had as God, if you want to put it that way. He emptied himself of those privileges and rights as God. He didn't use them. And he did that to be an example to us. And that he operated in the same way that we can and must operate. Jesus became fully human while remaining fully God. He limited himself so that, uh, so that we can, um, so that we would know that we could do even greater works, as he said we could do and think about this if Jesus are you with me this morning if Jesus could do nothing outside or apart from the power of the Holy Spirit then we must need the Holy Spirit's power all the more he did that as an example to us just as he reason he got baptized by John he did it as an example you know why because Jesus knew there would have to be a repentance before you came to Christ There always has to be a repentance, a turning away. Say, well, there's people who are beat up and hurt and they're victims of every, all this terrible stuff. I don't deny that one bit. The world is brutal and it treats people brutally. Sin and its effects are brutal. It, it wrecks lives, it, it, it hurts people. It, it, it's disease, it's sicknesses, all that stuff that came with sin. I get all that, it's horrible stuff. But there still has to be a repentance. There still has to be a Repentance. A turning away by us. And God will heal every hurt and mend every wound. We know that. Look at what it says in Luke 4, 1. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So we see the Holy Spirit comes down on him, and then he's full of the Holy Spirit. Then Luke 4, 14, then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. I just find it interesting that the Son of God needs the Spirit of God. But he did, because he emptied himself of those privileges and rights that he had as deity, that he had as God. Why? Because he wanted to be our example. We have access today, just like Jesus did, the very thing that gave him the power to do those miracles and do the things that he did we have access to that's phenomenal folks i want us to consider jesus' example how led of the spirit how led of the holy spirit are we do we consult with him before life decisions or even business decisions do we listen for his leading in our lives i have a great example for you of, of someone, me, who didn't listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. You want to hear what it is? Did anybody see me over there changing a battery in my monitor? How many saw that? I did pretty good. You didn't notice. I was talking, and you were, close your eyes, you had your eyes raised, and I was worshiping God and doing this at the same time. Why? Because I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit in practice, because at least one or two times the Holy Spirit quickened my heart and said, you need to change your battery. And I said, I don't need to change my... I, I, I didn't even think it was the Spirit. I thought it was just me. I thought it was just me. I was, uh, No, I don't need to because I changed it last week and I know how many hours the battery has on it. It was a bad battery. But I was told twice to change that dumb battery. And I didn't do it. And then I was told again when Pastor Jared was giving the announcements. This is funny. This is like real life example right here. Told again, right when you were giving announcements. And I'm like, no, it works fine. Just be, it's fine. It's only got this many hours on it. But you know what happened? Right as I got to the mic, when Leah started singing, shut off. And then I'm playing, and how do you play and change a battery? And Why do I bring that up? Because your pastor's not perfect. Well, that's number one reason. But number two reason, I think we miss stuff like that. We all do, all the time. Where the Holy Spirit's speaking to us, even just little things. He speaks to us the big things, sure. That's when we throw out the 911 prayers, right? And then we're really listening because we got a big emergency. But what about every single day on the little stuff? How many went to the bistro this morning? Did you get a free meal? Amen. Amen. That's because somebody heard from the Holy Spirit that they were gonna pay for your meal. I'm not gonna tell you who it was. <laughs> but it's not somebody you'd think. Pretty awesome. When are we supposed to turn that off, where we just start listening to ourselves and not the Holy Spirit? I mean, if Jesus had to listen to the Holy Spirit, if he needed the Holy Spirit, if he had to be full of the Holy Spirit, if the Holy Spirit had to descend upon him and fill him so he could do his ministry, how much more do we need the Holy Spirit? And do we need to be listening? I think about how Jesus ministered for three years, almost 2,000 years ago, and we are still talking about him today. Today. And more than that, we have buildings and structures all over this world that were built in his name and for his purposes. And it's easy just to assume it's because he was God. He was the Son of God. That's why. But that's not why his ministry impacted the world the way it did. It was the Holy Spirit leading and guiding him. It was the Holy Spirit that he allowed to equip and work powerfully through him everything that he did, every decision he made, every place he went, every word he spoke. It was the Holy Spirit. And it's the same Holy Spirit that we all have access to today. How much pride do we have when we try to fix things in our own power? We don't even consult the Spirit about a lot of things. As we get into this more and more, folks, it's going to get a little more heavy, okay? Because the church, for the most part, of course there's pockets of, of people that listen and I pray that our church is one of those pockets but, but honestly across the board the church, the Christian church as a whole, they don't listen to the Holy Spirit they got, they got programs that can outthink the Spirit of God they've got church growth manuals and formats and all sorts of things, not that those are all bad, I'm not saying that, especially if they were birthed out of the Spirit of God but sometimes we depend on the wrong thing Sometimes we put all of our eggs in one basket and usually it's in ourselves when it comes to listening and being led by. Now how much pride do we have when we decide to massage situations with our own abilities? Oh, I got a bad situation. Let me massage the situation. I'll say something here and say something there and kind of manipulate the situation or the people within the situation to get the desired result the Holy Spirit said, why don't you just consult me? I can get you right out of this and just lickety-split. What benefit is there for us in leaving the Holy Spirit out of our daily decisions, whether big, big or small? Bottom line, when we do it in our own power, the accomplishment is so much less than we could ever imagine. But when we accomplish something in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's so much more than we could ever imagine. And the only thing keeping us from listening to or staying in the presence of or continually consulting with or walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Hagios Numa, is pride. Maybe it could be a complete lack of knowledge of Him. I'm sure there's people that fall into that category. But all of us here today, we can't claim that because we know we have the knowledge that He's real, that the Holy Spirit's real. And so it's pride that says, I can handle this. I can do this. That's what pride always says. I can. Humility says, man, I need you, God. I'm desperate for you. I must have you. I need the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish anything. Here's my closing question. Which do we display more often in reference to listening to the Holy Spirit? Well, just close your eyes. Close your eyes. Don't look around. You don't need to look around. Just close your eyes, and this is just you and you doing business with God. You listening to His voice right now. What? what how do I say this? Which do you display more often in reference to the Holy Spirit leading you? Pride or humility? I can do it. I can fix it. I can make it happen. I'm smart enough, I'm talented enough, I'm good enough, I can do all this? Or is humility displayed in your life where you are absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit? Folks, I don't know about you, but that convicts me. And There might be some people in here who are way better at this than I am, but Life gets so loud and then the devil mixes it up with his stupid little attacks and even his big attacks and we get so mixed up, turn around and that we just kind of survive through life. But let me tell you the beauty of what Jesus does when he baptizes you, when he's given us the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get into the the logistics of that later. He becomes the one you can depend on, lean on, learn from. He's your life tour guide, He makes everything so much more simple. Do it on our own, and yet we keep trying. I'm gonna ask you a question, and you can just raise your hand, keep your heads out, heads bowed, eyes closed, whatever. But would you be willing to say, God, I could do a whole lot better in this area? Holy Spirit, I could do a whole lot better in this area if that's you listening to Him and letting Him lead you. I mean, if Jesus needed Him. How much more do you need him? If that's you this morning, raise your hand. Just say, Yeah, that's me. That's me. There's hands all over the place. It's all of us, right? It's all of us. Lord Jesus, awaken us to our need, our absolute desperation for your spirit, because we're desperate for you, whether we know it or not. We need more of you more of your presence permeating every area of our life we need more of your leading more of your voice dictating to us what we should and shouldn't do what we should and shouldn't be a part of and god we we come to you with repentance today because we know this is a gift that you gave us you You gave your all when you died on the cross for us and you opened the door for all of us to receive the Holy Spirit. You gave us this gift and it's like we reject it. We accept you and we make you our Savior and we we know our, our, our home, our eternal home will be in heaven, but then we live our life without the tools you gave us. Lord Jesus, we repent of that today we turn away from that and we choose you we know god that your ways are higher than our ways and that you can lead us to places we can't even imagine be our guide be our leader be the voice that speaks that still a small voice within us sometimes it just says check your battery Or buy someone's meal over here. Or drive to this place. Or, Lord, if we would listen to you, the army you would have would be incredible. We love you, Jesus, and we give you our hearts today. Amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.